Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, hello everyone. Happy Friday and welcome to your Friday edition of Collider Dailies. Steve, I have a request. Show everybody one of your cool uh, cabinet games back there. Uh, it's on. You turned it on. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to make it so this is Space Ace. People just, I don't know if they care, but uh, cool. New Wave Toys makes these things, and I effing love them. Uh, they actually, you can play the games. Um, this totally works. Hold on, I'm not sure if the volume, I didn't mean for this to happen. Oh, I did. <laughs> I dig that. So, anyway, I love these things uh, as an arcade person. Um, but anyway. Tis a yeah, nice collection to have. Bad. Yeah, I didn't uh, realize that was about to happen. I'll do a little product placement myself and say, this cool jersey came from Box Lunch, and it's it's a whole bunch of horror stuff I got. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I'm debating, though. Steve, should I wear this to the Suitable Flesh screening tonight? Suitable Flesh is not a slasher movie, but I kind of want to wear it. I, I think you can wear it. I think you'll okay. be fine. Okay, I hope everyone out there thinks I can wear it as well. And I'm going to drop a, a link in the live chat right now because you have a matter of hours to buy tickets to that because that screening is the one that is happening tonight and then Trick or Treat is happening tomorrow. So there are tickets available to all four screenings, but like hurry up and get the suitable flesh ones fast because that's going to be here before you know it and it's going to be fun. We're going to talk to Joe Lynch and he is so lovely. So that is what's going on tonight. Steve, Actually, shall we get Barry, into this? I was going to say, if you're plugging a T-shirt, I'm going to give Legendary a big thank you for the Pacific Rim 10th anniversary shirt. Uh, we gave out some of these at our Pack Rim screening with Guillermo del Toro, and they gave me one, and it's very comfortable and soft, and I'm just going to say thank you. I'm so not used to seeing you wear anything, like, somewhat white. <laughs> like, you always yeah, have a black T-shirt with a graphic logo on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, as it's black with the graphic. It just also, anyway, the point is, thank you, Legendary. These are for sale, I think, on Legendary's website. So if you actually are a Pacific Rim fan, uh, you can buy them. So now we've given you a lot of cool stuff to buy. Let us make do on our title topic today. Our first story of the day is going to be this possible Deadpool 3 delay. So I'm going to run through the report. And then, Steve, I know you have some insight into this. So the original report comes from Deadline. And their sources are saying that Deadpool 3 is not going to make its May 3rd, 2024 release date. 
even if the strike ends in the next few weeks, the uh, the 2024 restart on the half-finished movie would just not get the film across the finish line in time to make May 3rd. So that is what's going on there. And then the piece goes on to explain how Marvel really likes to have specific release dates to themselves, which you can understand. Their films can do quite well on certain dates. So what this article had suggested is that, and I think they referred to this as a long shot, so full full context there, Captain America Brave New World, which was originally set for that May 3rd release date, was then pushed to July 22nd, uh, 26th, excuse me. There's a chance that it could move back to the date that Deadpool 3 would have to vacate. But again, nobody knows anything about that for sure. Who knows what's going to happen? And, you know, they go on to explain that there are certain other dates it could have uh, it could have Deadpool 3 move to like early November, which had worked really well for something like Black Panther Wakanda Forever and also Thor Ragnarok. And then they also uh, posed uh, December 20th as an option as well. So, Steve, of all those dates that I just rattled off, where do you think Deadpool 3 is most likely to land? I can say with certainty that nobody knows what the release date is going to be on Deadpool 3 uh, until the strike gets resolved. Um, I think that, look, there's a good chance it's not going to make its May 3rd release date um, because it still has to film a whole bunch of the movie. Saying that, it all comes down to what, again, when does the strike, the actor's strike get resolved? If the actor's strike gets resolved in the next week, they could be filming Deadpool again next month. And if they want to spend extra money by hiring more VFX firms and more vendors, they could conceivably still make that May release date. But the bigger problem is, and you got to remember, with these movies, like a, a Deadpool movie, there's a lot of marketing that goes into it. There's a lot of merchandise. And the problem is that they have to make a decision probably pretty soon as to when this movie is going to come out because you can't, you don't want to line the store shelves in April with all these toys that possibly have spoilers from a movie that you then might not be releasing till November if it's not done in time. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you have to think about. But ultimately, it comes down to when does the actor strike get resolved and that will dictate what the release date is. The other, and also remember, Deadpool 3 is a massive movie that everybody cares about if you're a superhero fan. And Marvel knows how big this movie is for them and for how much money it could potentially make. Whatever day they choose, other movies are going to move away from it. This is not a minor little blip of a movie. This is a, this is a juggernaut movie. This is like a four-quadrant, huge film. So if they choose November 3rd, people are going to move away. If they choose August 15th, they're going to move away. So they don't really have to worry. Captain America, I don't know if they move away from that. But Deadpool, people move away from. You know, you would think people would move away from Deadpool and not Captain America Brave New World? I, I personally, if I was another studio, I would think about counter-programming Captain America. But huh. I would not, I would steer clear of Deadpool. Oh, wow. The, the reason is Captain America is just, it, it, I don't want to say he's overexposed. He's a little overexposed. Deadpool with Ryan and like that character is not overexposed. And it's also Deadpool and Wolverine. All the ads are going to be Deadpool and Wolverine. You Like this is a movie that I, I personally would do counter programming on Captain America. And okay. I would move absolutely away from Deadpool. I'm I'm curious to see how our box office predictions uh, shape up when we get a little closer. But 
That is a that is the current status of these films. And I, I mean, my next question for you, Steve, is is this just the beginning? Are we going to see a significant amount of 2024 tentpole movies pull their release dates and have to move to different dates? Um, it really comes down to because I don't really know. Like, for example, Joe Kaczynski's uh, F1 movie with Brad Pitt. How much has been shot of that? I don't think it has a release date yet. But if the strike gets resolved, I'm sure if it's coming out late next year, it'll make its release date. The real issue is there's a bunch of movies that moved out of 2023 Mm -hmm. to 2024, but the studios have done themselves no favors with this strike because you now have five months. It's going to be five months of things not filmed, and that's going to create a um, an empty schedule next year. And it's going to carry over because and there might be more acquisitions of certain films. But anyway, look, uh, I I think this whole thing is going to cause a a um, emptiness to movie theaters schedules where you remember before COVID Mm -hmm. there would be say like two or three big movies on a Friday, you know, like the market was, uh, it had a lot of product, if you will, for people to choose from now on a Friday, there's like one movie that comes out, like one movie that you might know about. So, um, anyway, I, I think it's going to be a real issue and it's going to be an issue for the streamers and studios with television. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a huge gap of not filming. Yeah, this is this is going on for a very significant amount of time. And there is no doubt in my mind that is going to have a ripple effect that we're all going to feel into next year and maybe beyond as well. So I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The next story is actually in line with that. We have another update on the SAG-AFTRA strike. And, you know, this is something that I didn't quite expect to have popped up, but one of the latest uh, one of the latest updates on that situation is that there's a group of, of actors, A-list actors, if you will, who went to SAG-AFTRA's leadership with a proposal, a proposal that they were hoping would help expedite uh, these negotiations and resolve things. So we could all move on with our lives. So I got a lot of background to give everybody because some of this can be a little difficult to understand. So The beginning of this is that one of the big issues with these negotiations is SAG-AFTRA's demand for a new streaming residual model. And, you know, the Guild reportedly, I think the number is something like they want $500 million a year, which would which would come from a per subscriber fee. And then that money would be distributed by a jointly administered trust, presumably based on uh, the viewership data for each streaming show. So. AMPTP is not liking some of that, so that is part of the reason why they walked away. Yeah, most of that they don't like. Yeah, so a group of actors, they they came to SAG-AFTRA with um, a proposal for things that could resolve some of this, maybe. So I want to give a deadline credit because they were the ones that had the exclusive on this particular situation. So they laid out a proposal that would basically see the biggest stars themselves, who are also, of course, the biggest earners in the industry, 
taking on two main elements. They want a, a dues increase for high earning actors and then a change in residuals to ensure that low earning actors get paid first. So to break that down a little further, they want to eliminate this cap on membership dues. So that would mean that the top earners, the top actors making the most money would contribute significantly more in membership fees each year. And I think it was George Clooney who gave this estimate. That would mean that they would bring in, I think he was estimating 50 million for one year and then 150 million over the course of three years. So that is one thing that they propose. Now, if you want a a good uh, a good piece about why a lot of this doesn't work, I suggest checking out the Variety article that was posted this morning. So one reason why this this doesn't work, and this is the first thing that popped in my mind when I read this, whether they they came to the table with the, the best possible intentions or not, an increased amount of union dues shouldn't offset the money that the studios won't pay the actors. So that kind of obliterates the value of, of that first part of the proposal. Then the second part of the proposal is is the, the residual uh, system that they want to do, where it's a it's a bottom up system so that the the actors who, who make the least amount of money are paid first. But as Variety very clearly explains here, that, that's just not how that system works. So I want to read one particular section that they wrote. Residuals are paid out at the same time to everybody who is owed them. Every time a project like, let's say, uh, you know, something being re-aired on TV, the union contracts already established who is owed what. So residuals basically have nothing to do with the profit. So it does not matter where an actor is positioned for that particular payout. So basically both of these things do not work. SAG has rejected the proposal. And there is also some concern that, you know, by bringing these ideas to the table, it could take away from the the guild-wide solidarity in terms of fighting for what they want from the studios. You don't want the guild itself to try to, like, fix the issue. You want the studios to pay people what they are owed, point blank. So there you have it. Steve, did that make any sense to you? It made complete sense. You did a okay. great job explaining Thank it. You. I actually, I understand. Um, I actually I think that George Clooney and the other actors are just trying to resolve a situation. I don't think what they proposed is ruining the SAG solidarity. I think they're just trying to um, just offer more of what they make to other actors. And they're trying to find a solution. <clears throat> but I, I agree. The studios... Um, need to fairly compensate the actors they need to deal with the ai issue immediately they need to deal with streaming revenue um and look it's a very complicated situation because um you know the the screen actors guild is such a powerful union that they want what they want and the studios um you know are hemorrhaging money and they are on the streaming services and they are trying to figure out how can we survive while also um, dealing with the Screen Actors Guild and their demands. Uh, I'm glad I'm not in the room negotiating, but I do agree that the actors have to be fairly compensated for their work. And um, and I don't know how to get there. I'm not that guy. But, you know, people need to be compensated for their work. And if a, and if a show is a huge hit, um, then people should be compensated. I look at the Suits thing that's going on on Netflix, how it's like the number one show 
Um, it's been watched by billions and billions of minutes. And the people involved in that show are getting like $250 checks. You know, like that's effed up. You know, like, and by the way, I could be wrong about the 250, but it's such a minuscule amount of money that they're getting that it's like comical, you know? And so that system has to be fixed where mm-hmm. if a show is hugely successful, where it's the number one show on streaming on any platform by a mile, you need to be paid. Like you just do. Anyway. It's that. No, it is. It's it's that simple. It is simply being fair to human beings who work in your industry and help keep your companies afloat. So hopefully everyone is going to to realize and respect that sooner rather than later. And we will not be talking about a strike for much longer. Dear God, please. I need to I need to stop talking about that. <laughs> I, I, I listen. I think that there's so many people that are hurting that are not just yeah. actors. It, it's laundry mats. It's restaurants. It's everything that's around the movie and TV industry. And it just has to get resolved. There are so many people mm-hmm. who are now uh, out of unemployment opportunities. You know, like unemployment has ended for many people. And this has to get resolved quickly. Yeah, it, it really, really does. Um, and I don't know. I'll just say it again to hopefully manifest it. High, high hopes the AMPTP will come to their senses sooner rather than later and just give people what they deserve for their hard work. All right. Our final topic for today is going to have a whole lot of blabbing from me as well, because I'm very excited about this movie. And Steve knows it. There is a brand new uh, featurette that was just released for The Hunger Games, the ba- the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And like, it's substantial. It's a really good piece. I highly recommend watching it just because I think it's like, I think it's really well made, but I also think it sells the movie especially well. So, Steve, you know, I, I read the book. I read all the books. I love the books. I love the original Hunger Games books. When I first heard about Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I'm sitting there. I'm like, what? Like, why would I have wanted to go through all of that with Katniss and the evolution of Panem just to, like, go back in time and and, and lose all of that progress. Why do I want a prequel? Then I read the book. The prequel book is really damn good. It's very, very effective. So I think that it's important that they release a featurette like this because it's it sets up for folks who haven't read the book what to expect from this movie so it isn't some sort of jarring experience when you jump in and you know the world is drastically different and also the story structure is quite different as well a couple things that i that i noted down is you know basically how they tee up the story i also want to point out that this is not an easy role for rachel zegler i think she was perfectly cast in that i'm so excited to see her both nail the singing involved for that character but also the emotional journey she goes on but in that piece Frances Lawrence says that Lucy Gray, her character, is, he used the word naturalist and a charmer and anti-catness. That's like a wide range of things to be able to do. So that's what's on her plate. So be aware of that and that, that description of the character. And then there's also a good deal of talk about the production design here, which, again, is very important because it's a prequel. It takes place 64 years before the events of the first film. So obviously the visuals are going to have to be very different. Panem, uh, the capital in particular, looks very different. Uh, the games themselves are extremely different. So this well, this well sets up and I think establishes appropriate expectations for the story that you're about to experience. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I thought the feature, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I think that I, my only thing, I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, but my only thing is that the, the film is two hours and 36 minutes. 
And um, there's a lot that this featurette shows. And I'm almost wondering, like, should this have been longer or like, like, because it just feels like there's so much story that yes. is about to be unleashed in this film that this runtime might, because I just saw Killers of the Flower Moon that's three hours and 30 minutes. And there's a lot of story. Anyway, I'm wondering about the length and if it needed to be longer. But I also know that Lionsgate believes in this movie and thinks it's really good because they're lifting the social embargo on November 5th, hmm. which is, uh, you know, 12 days before release. So studios, just so for people that don't realize, the earlier you lift a social embargo, the more confident the studio is in said movie or whatever it may be. Um, you know, oftentimes I've been in, you know, there's a movie coming out and the embargo will lift like the day before. Well, you know what that means, you know? Um, so 12 days in advance means they think they have a winner. So anyway, I thought the footage looked really good in the featurette. Um, just to your your point about the length of the movie, because this was this was the first thing that I thought about when I put the book down. And it's actually funny to bring this up because there's quotes swirling around where Francis Lawrence is saying that he regretted, I think, turning Mockingjay into two films. So the way actually I'll put out like a very light spoiler warning just in case you don't want to know this, but it's it's all over the trailers, but just in case anybody doesn't want like the basic information about the book. So the thing is, it's it's half about their their relationship and it's half about the games. And when I put the book down, my first thought was, wow, this is a book structure that warrants two films, but they didn't make it into two films. And that's probably why it's as long as it is. But, you know, even with two and a half hours and thinking about what I read and what I loved about the book, I could see a world where maybe we walk away and we're like, huh, that should have been two movies. But for all I know, they managed to pull it off and, and they they account for, you know, the distinct parts of the book in one single film. I'm I'm curious to see how that pans out. Yeah, I mean, look, two hours and 36 minutes. I don't know if that's with credits or without. I mean, that's a long movie. Um, but I'm just saying that if there's a anyway, I'm, I am looking forward to seeing it. I'm a big fan of Francis Lawrence, who directed it. And I look, I, I'm really excited. I think he's a very talented director. He did a great job with the other Hunger Games films. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, as soon as I can see it, I'm going to see it. I love it. All right. Any parting words before we leave everybody for the weekend? Yes. Uh, someone I know made a new Netflix show called Captain Laserhawk. Uh, it comes out today. It's a six part animated uh, series. Um, Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Diamond remix. It's real good. And I love the way Addy um, Shankar uh, did like mixed the uh, the aesthetic of the sh of the of the of the show. So sometimes it's like anime that you know. Sometimes it's eight bit video game graphics. It's like a mixed aesthetic uh, thing. But mostly, I really enjoyed it because it just takes left and right turns you do not see coming. Mm -hmm. Like I was, you know, after episode one, I'm like, it's gonna go like this. Oh no, it doesn't. It goes like that. Oh wait, no. It's there for a second. Now it's over there. It just completely uh, goes all over the place. And I thought it was really well done. So cool. uh, recommend it. All right. There's a recommendation for the weekend. And for all of our uh, L.A. viewers, I'll give one more recommendation, one more plug. I am putting it in the live chat now. Go buy tickets to the Scary Perry Horror Series screening of Suitable Flesh with a Q&A with Joe Lynch happening tonight. And then tomorrow night we are screening one of my, not just my favorite uh, Halloween movie, not just my favorite horror movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. Steve, do you know how many times I've seen Trick or Treat? 22. There's no answer. 
There's no answer to that. I can't even count way more than that. Even though I've seen it countless times, I've never seen it on the big screen. So I'm just so excited to see it on the big screen. And I've spoken to Mike before, but never about Trick or Treat in depth. So I'm really excited for that post-screening Q&A as well. So join us for that. Go buy tickets. They're only $5. And a big thank you to all of you for enjoying a week's worth of Collider Dailies with us. I hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday with a brand new episode.